The other thing, though, that is a deep-rooted problem is that the media is sponsored by advertising, and advertising is <laughs> telling us to buy, 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 buy while the planet goes bye, 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 right? Uh, you can't actually fundamentally have a model of mass and intense consumerism brought to you by mass intense consumerism. Hello. Thank you so much for checking out Earth Care, the interview series that's dedicated to understanding the ways we can care for the Earth and each other. I'm your host, Sarah Christie, and I'm on a mission to make climate change an approachable and not so overwhelming conversation for everyone. On this podcast, we meet climate heroes, activists, experts, entrepreneurs, and get their take on how we can help save the planet. And during this episode, we're learning how to do that by not running from tough information and instead talking about what's happening in our world. Zaya Tong is an award-winning science broadcaster who you might know from anchoring Daily Planet on the Discovery Channel until it wrapped in 2018. She was also a correspondent for Science Now, where she worked with Neil deGrasse Tyson. In 2019, Zaya published her book, The Reality Bubble, Blind Spots, Hidden Truths, and Dangerous Illusions That Shape Our World. This book has received several accolades, so much praise, which I could list off, or I'll just tell you about my experience with it. I couldn't put it down, and now I want to talk about this book with anyone who will listen. Eye-opening doesn't even begin to describe it. What Zaya teaches us about nature in this book is astounding and consistently makes you question, are you sure we're the smartest species on Earth? And what Zaya writes about the human relationship with nature is, well, sobering and invites a ton of welcomed self-reflection. If there's ever a book that will have you on the side of, no, catch the bug in your house, put it outside so it can be free, versus squashing it, it's this one, the reality bubble. Earthling, Zaya's Twitter account, is also a wealth of information when it comes to neat facts about creatures, hopeful green innovation, and wake-up calls to what's threatening the planet we call home. Zaya joins Earthcare to talk about what are our reality bubbles, how can the media join the conversation surrounding our climate crisis, and she's going to talk about the new documentary she's working on about plastic pollution. Okay, I'll stop talking now because I'm just so excited for you to hear this one. Here it is, my Earthcare conversation with the one and only Zaya Tong. Zaya Tong, you are an instrumental voice for animals and nature, a wealth of information for all things planet related, and also the author of the brilliant book that I just finished reading, The Reality Bubble, who I will, I have been telling literally anyone who will listen about this book, and I probably will read time and time again because of all the information in it, you know, it's taking a lot to digest it. So congratulations on that book. It is such an honor to have you on Earthcare. Sarah, thank you so much. And you know, when I when I first started writing that book, I really wasn't sure if my mom was going to be the only person to read it. So I'm truly grateful whenever I meet anybody who's taken the time. So I really that means a lot. You know, since we're talking about your book, I figured this is a good place to start the reality bubble. When someone is done reading that book, what do you hope is the big takeaway? You know, I uh... I love epiphanies. I love when people's jaws drop. I love when they have that sense of awe. And I I really hope for people to feel like, you know, it's written as a series of 10 huge blind spots that we have as human beings, right? So it's almost like Shalom, who does the dance of the seven veils. As each one of those veils drops, you get a new layer of reality and you see the world in a whole new way. So I hope after those 10 blind spots sort of disappear, that they see the world in a completely new way. And if I've done that, then I've done my job. 
I don't know how you can't. There's just no way you can finish that book and that not be the after effect. So three main blind spots you do talk a lot about in the book are where energy comes from, where our food comes from, how it's made, and uh, where our waste goes. And I'm just so curious about where you think the disconnect is happening between us and those worlds, because you know now, 2022, 2023 will be when this is released. That information is available. Yeah, well, as I write about in the book, right, there was this shower thought that I had when I started it, which is in the 21st century, there are cameras everywhere, except where our food comes from, where our energy comes from, and where our waste goes. So how did we become the super powerful species on Earth when we're the only ones who are completely blind to how we survive, right? And the truth is, we don't see very much about those things in the world around us. We don't see it in the media. Um, you certainly don't see where our food comes from in the media for the most part. Um, you know, I think it was Paul McCartney who said that if uh, he said a long time ago, slaughterhouses, if they had glass walls, right, none of us would actually be eating meat, but none of us actually see the processes of what goes into our food, what goes into our energy. There's nobody filming at, you know, in the oil sands, for example, right, what's happening whenever there's a leak that's going on there. We don't really know about that. And then, of course, the immense amount of waste and garbage that we put out as a human species, we kind of think that we can kind of flush the toilet, put it in the bin, and it magically goes away. Um, so really, my hope is to be able to shine a bit more of a spotlight on those things and the history of those things so that we can get a clearer view. Right. And you think about all the information, the devastating information we take in on a daily basis now, too. It's just if we're not seeing it, it's so easy to turn on the cognitive dissonance and, you know, carry on. Another bubble I think we put ourselves into is our information, kind of what we're talking about there. You know, we might only get one headline depending on who we follow. We might only read one perspective. And some examples of that in the past year, you know, talking about monarch butterflies becoming endangered or, you know, did you read the Freya the Walrus story in Norway? Oh, yes. Was this the one where they actually killed the walrus? Right. And so, but the headlines were she was a threat to the public. And so you might read that and go, okay, but we're not getting the full story. And there's so much more information there. So I'm wondering if you could talk about the connection between understanding the behavioral and these migratory changes in species and what that's trying to tell us about climate change. Yeah, right. Well, the Earth has its own kind of clock and, and species have evolved so that we all can work in sync together. That's the beauty of nature, right? All the different seasons. And the scientific term for it is actually phenology. And so that's why, you know, the old saying, the early bird gets the worm. The worm comes out, the bird knows when the worm is there, you know, this has all sort of been sort of synchronized in a way. But we're seeing a lot of mismatches in nature. So one example that I write about in the book is a specific species of orchid that mimics um, that mimics a bee, the minor bee. It looks a lot, you know how orchids can look like bees sometimes? So the, the female, the orchid actually emits a pheromone that's a lot like the female minor bee. And so then the male minor bee thinks it's a, thinks it's a bee and comes to mate with it, pollination, da-da, the orchid wins and uh, gets to sort of recreate itself. The problem is that now with warming temperatures, with every one degree of warming, the orchid now blooms earlier. But what's even crazier is that the bees are coming out even earlier. So what's happening now is that the male minor bees are mating with their own species, which is great for the minor bees, but they've completely ignored the, uh, the orchids. So now the orchids are going to rely on hand pollination, otherwise 
they'll very possibly go extinct because the minor bees that they've relied on for centuries and thousands of years potentially no longer are coming to pollinate them at the right time. The same thing is happening uh, across the world. We're seeing this with bird migrations because what's happening if you're a gardener, you know that quite often spring is coming earlier now. Plants are blooming earlier. Uh, the leaves are coming out earlier. What that means is all the insects arrive earlier. But for bird migrations, they're actually migrating with the rising of the sun, not with temperature, when, when the sun kind of rises earlier in the day. So they start making their pilgrimage across the ocean, and by the time they arrive, because of climate change, the plants have bloomed, the insects have come and gone, and they come and they starve. And wow. so those mismatches in timing are actually incredibly dangerous, and we're starting to see more and more of them uh, with climate change these days. I know you talked about it in the book, and this is a podcast, so people can't see that my jaw is dropping, but this is literally uh, a true testament to the book of your jaw drops in amazement, and then it drops in just shock. Oh. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> truly. Yeah. Um, and, and you kind of touched on it earlier, because I think a major player in all of this is broadcasting and, and what is what is happening with this conversation. And as a fellow broadcaster, I... I'm curious to know your thoughts on the evolving role that media plays in broadcasting these events, these climate change related events. Well, it's a joy to be on a podcast like this where you get to talk about these issues, but it is a total and utter rarity. You know, you think about the fact that, you know, human civilization is on the brink of catastrophe, as the world scientists are telling us. We're seeing two thirds of the world's animal populations drop in a matter of 40 years, mass extinctions that we're looking at. And you know these should be the things that we're talking about, but the truth is there's nothing on television about it. Nothing, nothing. There's one show in the UK called The Daily Climate Show that I appear on as a featured guest. Uh, it's only 15 minutes long and it's on at 3.30 in the afternoon. Who's watching at 3.30 <laughs> in the afternoon? When you're talking about something that should be affecting everyone. And so there's a reason for this though, right? I think that TV executives and broadcasters have a big problem, aside from weather porn, everybody will show weather porn, right? Whether it's a like disaster porn, right? If it's weather like porn. <laughs> hurricane that destroys a place or, you know, huge, you know, whenever there's disasters, the news will air it, but they're never getting down to the symptoms of the larger disease. They're never actually looking at what are the root causes of these problems, right? And I understand that, okay, at 7 p.m., everybody's come home, you know, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's an economic crisis, whether it's a political crisis, the last thing people can do is turn on the TV or turn on the radio and listen to another problem. And so that's why I think it's really important to frame things in a way that's interesting gets to some of the root issues and is relatable to us as human beings, right? So that it's not just data and facts and drowning us in more misery, because uh, right. that's not going to work either. So what would you like to see moving forward from fellow broadcasters when it comes to engaging in these climate change related conversations? Well, first of all, you know, it's like, you know, let a, a billion flowers bloom. We need so many more of these types of shows. Um, and every single show should be integrating this sort of content, right? It's funny because I remember, you know, obviously in the 90s, there was a show called Friends. And if you turn on a show like Friends, there's not a single problem in the world. And in the 90s, it was quite a different era if you were living in the West, let's say, right? I mean, obviously it was eclipsing a lot of news and information from other places in the world, but it would be helpful if every form of media incorporated 
solutions, climate change, just an awareness of what's happening, real system change, the way we really need to change. The other thing though, that is a deep rooted problem is that the media is sponsored by advertising and advertising is <laughs> telling us to buy, 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 buy while the planet goes by, 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 right? Uh -huh. You can't actually fundamentally have a model of mass and intense consumerism brought to you by mass intense consumerism <laughs> and then think that that is somehow going to change things because it isn't. So we need to do some much more deep-rooted structural change um, if we really, really want to change things. But the truth is, and, and it's a quote by somebody whose name I can't remember right now, you know, let this radicalize you, not bring you to despair. There's so much to do. There's so many wonderful solutions out there. You know, Project Drawdown has all a whole list of them. And that's the reason why I'm not in despair is because I'm very well aware that there are not only lots of people focused on these solutions every day, but we actually have solutions to every one of these problems. We just need people to focus on one solution. Like if you're listening today, no need to go out and save absolutely everything because that's impossible. And it's also very paralyzing. Just pick one thing and do, you know, some people want to help bees. Some people want to help orchids. Some people want to help birds. Like pick the one, th if you're not doing anything, then that's a problem. But if you've just picked one thing, I think if everybody did one thing, that would that would change the world. Zaya, I want to be respectful of your time. But before I let you go, uh, you have such exciting news to share. Speaking of content that we're going to be digesting, um, you're working on a documentary about plastics. What can you say about it at this moment in time? Digesting very literally, I think. Uh, it's been, <laughs> uh, I think the world's first feature film on microplastics. So uh, as many of us know, these microplastics, plastic doesn't break down. It just sort of degrades into tinier and tinier pieces. And the plastic is everywhere around us. We're you know, finding it on the top of mountain peaks, in the remote areas of the Arctic, the bottom of the ocean. And because the environment is what builds up our bodies, we're finding it inside of ourselves. We're inhaling the plastic, we're drinking it, we're eating it. It's in all of our tap water. People who eat seafood, I mean, gosh, that's a plastic chow down. There's no doubt about that. But nobody's really investigated the impact of microplastics on the human body. So that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be going to some really polluted places and uh, also just investigating plastic in the everyday world. You can see I'm in my living room here and there's tons of plastic around me, even though it's sort of invisibilized, because that's the thing that I was thinking about. The, the truth is, Microplastics are a lot like our carbon dioxide problem. It's absolutely everywhere, but invisible to the naked eye. So that's very similar to the reality bubble, right? Another huge blind spot, things that we can't see. So I'm really looking forward to investigating it and getting to the bottom of it. And uh, I'm going to start filming early next year. I mean, I can't wait to already read your book again. So you can, oh you, can, you can only imagine the excitement I have to watch this documentary when it comes out. Zayatong, it was such a pleasure to have you on Earthcare. Truly, thank you so much for sharing your time. I'm so happy we finally got to meet. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for all the great the work that you're doing as well. Thank you so much for checking out that episode of Earthcare and letting this podcast be a part of your day. Since you made it this far, here's a little sneak peek into the conversation we're having next week. People don't realize just how how important walkable environments are, walkable residential areas are to the public, to the health of the public within the community. It's amazing. The the one would never have equated the healthiest populations with being in big cities, but they are. And you know, in Chicago and New York and and mm. cities like that. 
have some of the best health outcomes in, in the States, it's because the amount of walking they do. Until then, we can also connect online at Earth Care Show on Instagram and TikTok. Head there to give those accounts a follow. And hey, if you have time, leave a review, message me with a review. I'd love to know what's on your mind, what's been clicking with you, and what topic you'd like to learn more about. You can also write to me on the website, earthcareshow.com. I'm your host, Sarah Christie, and the goal of this podcast is to get us talking about climate change. So let's chat.